The big day is almost here. College basketball is so close to being back, we can almost taste it. While opening day is obviously exciting, there's a lot to look forward to down the line. The Big East Big 12 battle starts in less than a week, scheduled to start on Sunday, and it'll last for the next two weeks, 10 games across that span. And joining me to break down all 10 of these games in the second annual Big East Big 12 battle, representing the Big East from the Big Big East blog, is frequent guest of mine on the Igloo, go-to guy I've had for, uh, for quite a while, Patrick Madden. And then, of course, uh, a new guest of mine who will be breaking things down from a Big 12 perspective, uh, contributor for Making the Madness, and uh, he's also on the Making, uh, Making the Madness podcast, and he's also a member of the USBWA, Sean Paul, not the, not the artist. Let's make that clear. Uh, yeah. Guys, it's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Tim. So, I mean, let's get right into it. We're less than a week away from a marquee matchup, if you will, between the second-ranked Baylor Bears and the Seton Hall Pirates at the Prudential Center in Newark. I mean, for Seton Hall, that's going to be a tremendous test right out of the gates. And for Baylor, this could be their first game because they just withdrew from the Empire Classic at Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut. Overall, was Seton Hall going to have an – a game under their belts heading into that game, you know, there's a lot to look into in terms of maybe they could be fatigued heading into that game while Baylor could be a little more refreshed, but also rusty because of their pausing of team activities due to positive COVID tests. But overall, how are you guys seeing this matchup in particular and a possible early season upset at the rock? Well, I'll start by saying that, uh, Obviously, this on paper looks like the biggest game on Seton Hall's schedule, as opposed to Baylor, who has a very uh, tough non-conference schedule even after this game. Uh, they're going out to Indianapolis uh, after. They were, they were going to do a very aggressive travel at the beginning of the season, the trip to Connecticut where they could have played Villanova, the trip down to New Jersey to play Seton Hall, and then they're going out to Indianapolis to play another team that's in the top five, Gonzaga. Uh, obviously, unfortunately, because Baylor coach Scott Drew has tested positive, it's sort of put a, a wrench in the works for Baylor. Uh, I don't think that's going to impact Baylor that much because it's a veteran team. They're bringing back four out of their five starters from a team that was in the top five uh, last year. And I think it's, it's just simply a matter of them uh, doing what they did so well last season, playing their type of game, which is a slower tempo game focused on defense and focused on late game playmaking uh, in contrast to Seton Hall uh, who will be looking to play a little more offense this year with Bryce Aiken uh, to Kai Molson uh, and of course, Sandra Memekelich-Vili. Uh, so it's, it's, it's just going to be intriguing to see how the two uh, different styles of play sort of clash and then to sort of see if Baylor is as good as they've been advertised in the preseason. Sean, uh, yeah, uh, filling in on the um, overall hype around that uh, Baylor squad, again, coming in as the number two team in the country, only a vote away from, uh, you know, holding the top spot. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, Baylor is going to be as good as advertised. You have Jared Butler, who's a National Player of the Year candidate. Macy Oteague, who is a talented defender and scorer. He dealt with a wrist injury last year, which kind of hurt his shooting ability. But his two seasons at UNC Asheville before transferring to Baylor, he shot over 40% from deep. So I think that could return to uh, what we'll see this year. But Mark Vidal, one of the top glue guys in the country, mo- one of the more underrated players. He's 6'5", but he's, you know, 250 plays really large he's a good shot blocker he just makes your life tough on the defensive end but recently Tristan Clark decided to retire from basketball due to injuries so that leaves a spot open and I think Dane Danger a freshman is a guy that could take that next step he's 6'9 270 but he has a seven foot seven wingspan that size and just the length of his arms are going to make life difficult for other big men and I think if you have him uh, I guess it depends what lineup Seton Hall runs out there. They'll probably start with Obiagu, but take him out and put Mamu Kelly at the five at some point. He can make things difficult for Seton Hall's best player. And I think Baylor is a really tough matchup for Seton Hall because off the bench you have Adam Flagler, a guy who had 16, 16 a game at Presbyterian two years ago before transferring. He, he could have a big game. There's just so much talent and depth on this team, and I think Baylor is as good as advertised, and they'll be a tough matchup for Seton Hall. All right, so I guess to put it from a Seton Hall perspective now, Patrick, uh, Seton Hall will can get the upset in this game if if uh, they if they shoot the lights out, but they have the guys to do it. Aiken, Miles, Kale. we know Miles Kale can put up big numbers in big spots. He did it against Maryland two years ago, Kentucky two years ago, Georgetown at the Prudential Center. Uh, if Mamu Kelly plays to his all Big East level and then you look at a guy like Shavar Reynolds uh, who might be called on to play more minutes in this game because no one's sure what Bryce Aiken's going to be able to bring to the table Uh, and a guy like Reynolds not only could he give some difficulty to some of those guards that Sean just just mentioned for Baylor but he's capable in the right circumstances of knocking down a few three-pointers so I think it's a matter of if Seton Hall pl- plays their A game and Baylor does come out with a little bit of that rust uh, that you mentioned sort of in the prelude to this, Seton Hall may have an opportunity to do something big the way they almost picked off Michigan State early last year in the Gavitt games. Uh, I, I agree with Sean, though, that I do, th- I, do think that Seton Hall, I do think that Baylor should win this game, maybe in the five to six point range. But, you know, in a game where you're pit with a five-point, six-point spread, the underdog always has an opportunity. So, uh, again, it's going to be probably one of the more interesting games to watch in the series just because you have two teams who definitely look like they're in the NCAA field uh, heading into the season. Sean, uh, any thoughts on, you know, other keys to Seton Hall possibly picking off Baylor? Uh, sorry if you hear my dogs in the background, by the way. Uh, but <laughs> – uh, I guess it's just a few. How how does Bryce Aiken play? He hasn't really played in a full calendar year at this point. Health has always been an issue for him throughout his Harvard career. Never played, or I think he played 30 games once, and then 22, 24, and then six last year, which earned him a uh, medical red shirt. But I think if he can play to what he did, like at the Orlando Invitational last year against Maryland, he dropped 30. If he can do that, Seton Hall can win this game. But I just don't see it. There's a lot that I feel like Bryce Aiken has to be at his uh, A game. So does Sandra Mamakelosvili. I just feel like 
Seton Hall has no room for error as where Baylor has the talent level to maybe step off the pedal a little bit and still have a good chance to win. I just don't see Seton Hall as having much margin for error. So overall consensus, we're all going Baylor here. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Pat and I are in the same vicinity. I'm thinking single digits. Same for you? Uh, maybe not five to six, but I'll say eight to ten. All right. My thing is, I was thinking nine specifically. Yeah, um, like the uh, the official like spread of the game, it'll probably be in the double digits because uh, I saw Baylor was giving like six points to Arizona State before that game got canceled. And right, that, but, but that was a neutral – that's a neutral – now, you, you can take neutral site for what it's worth, but, you know, the, 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 the point – the odds makers are probably going to still factor in home court a little bit. So, the, you, Baylor, that's Arizona State, yeah. the neutral site game, whereas uh, Baylor-Seton Hall would be a home game for Seton Hall. No fans, though, so that's probably got to make it less of a home court advantage. Yeah, I yeah, mean prob- – Probably. Yeah, normally, like – if, you, if you're giving three points, if you're a bookie, like, for home court advantage, like, I think you may want to cut that down by, like, a point or two. So, like. Yeah, I think home court ba- advantage. Put a Baylor minus six, roughly. Yeah, I don't think home court advantage is going to play much of a role this year. Uh, just, I mean, the fans, like, at the rack with Rutgers and all that, how good they were there last year. It was, they, I think they lost one game at home. Mm-hmm. and that was a lot of what their success was winning at home. The fans, the crowd made it tough for the other teams. Not having that noise of the oppo- of the crowd is going to favor opposing teams a lot. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think that's going to factor into, you know, I think why you might see, you know, quite a few road teams, you know, winning, mm-hmm. you know, as part of this series. Uh, so moving on, next game. Um, so that's the only November Biggies Big 12 battle game. First one in December on the – first of December it'll be in Milwaukee another biggies hosted game as Marquette welcomes Oklahoma State and I think this is a real under the radar intriguing matchup because for uh, the one big reason we get to see the nation's top recruit Kate Cunningham from Oklahoma State come into this game and for Marquette you got a lot to replace without Marcus Howard now. It's going to have to be by committee. DJ Carton is there, eligible to play. I'm intrigued to see what he's going to do. And what Marquette holding serve at home, it, it's – the Pfizer Forum was friendly to them last year. Uh, you know, they were significantly better at home in conference play compared to on the road. They had triple as many home wins in Big East play as they did on the road, six and three at home, two and seven on the road. So, even with no fans, I think Marquette has that familiarity of playing at home at the Pfizer Forum. And I think against a team like Oklahoma State, yes, they're very talented with Cade Cunningham, but they have a lot of uh, youth issues. And I wonder how much of a role, Sean, that would play in that kind of matchup. Yeah, it could definitely play a role. I like uh, a lot of what Marquette has, though, with the Jose Perez waiver. But just talking about Oklahoma State – they have a lot of key freshmen like Cunningham, Matthew Alexander, Moncrief, Rondell Walker is one of the top shooters in the class. But their return Isaac Likely, a super athletic point guard, one of the top defenders in the Big 12. And then with losing Yorane, who opted to transfer after the uh, ruling banning them from the NCAA tournament this season, they have Keelan and Caleb Boone, who will be playing down low. It's going to be interesting to see which one of those two twins steps up and becomes the main guy at the five. 
I think that Oklahoma State has the talent, but I'm not nearly as high on them as, as I am as other people are. I don't buy Cade Cunningham's shooting. That's something he really struggled with throughout his high school and uh, AAU career and all that. His shot's a little interesting looking. I don't think he's going to shoot better than like 31% from three this year, but he's a freak athlete and will score at will inside. Right. I, I, I'm, actually, I'm actually pretty high on Cade Cunningham, actually, only because uh, you're talking about, you know, a, a guy who could potentially be a perennial NBA all-star. I mean, you don't get put number one on the draft board for no reason. Plus, shooting is something which uh, can be worked on. Uh, you know, Mike Boykin's one of the underrated coaches in the country at Oklahoma State. Uh, you'd figure he's had the whole summer to work on his individual skills. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see what Cunningham actually shoots, given that he's had all summer to work on it, particularly since NBA, you know, people with the NBA are probably telling him that if he doesn't get his jump shot in order, uh, he has the possibility. I mean, look what happened to RJ Hampton, uh, who was supposed to be a top five pick and ended up getting drafted, I think like 23 or 24. Uh, so maybe it's something where Cunningham had a little bit more motivation this off season to improve his game. One thing which uh, we didn't talk about on the Marquette side is Marquette has some very impressive height and impressive, impressive height on the front line. Uh, the uh, Big East rookie of the year, Big East freshman of the year is uh, Dawson Garcia, 6'11", 6'11 player who's a tremendous athlete uh, who's supposed to be taking the mantle of being the uh, big man for Marquette away from uh, Theo John. Uh, who is entering into his senior year. Maybe he plays a fifth year after this, who knows. But that size could present some matchup difficulties for Oklahoma State. And then you get to maybe the second best player in the court that night, and that's going to be DJ Carton, the transfer from Ohio State. Uh, there's been a lot of I – I saw some Marquette people talk this weekend about whether or not Carton was going to play the point guard or Carton was going to play the shooting guard in the lineup uh, because uh, – Marquette was uh, very high on Samir Torrance, maybe playing the point. Uh, but I got to make a Central New York plug. Syracuse native, baby. Right. So uh, they, they're very high from what they've seen in practice of Torrance playing the point this year, maybe freeing up Carton to do some of the things he can do offensively, like shoot the three, drive to the basket where he's not thinking as much. That's some of what got Marcus Howard in trouble last year, which is Howard had to play the point and Howard had to worry about scoring. Uh, I actually like Oklahoma State in the matchup, if only because Cunningham is the most talented player on the court. Uh, and both teams are in transition. So I think it's a matter of, uh, if, I, if I had to pick a game which I think is pretty close, I'm going to go with the guy who teams that they have got the best player in the court. I know, I know I hope nobody from Marquette's listening, but you know the, the point, and I know I'm supposed to be the Big East guy, but I'm just looking at this objectively and saying, if I want the ball in the hands to win the game, I'm going to want it in Cunningham's hand. Of course, Sean's probably going to disagree with that, given what he just said a couple of minutes ago. Well, well no, I think Cunningham's – oh, sorry. I think Cunningham's a great player, but, you know, I think your R.J. Hampton comparison's a little intriguing. I see it. Like, Anthony Edwards shot 29% from deep last year and still went first. LaMelo Ball shot 25% and went third. I think that Cunningham can struggle this year. He's six foot seven and can play the one through the four. I don't think that's going to be an issue in terms of NBA stock at all. I think that he could score at will inside, but I just don't think I see him being a shooter. I do think Marquette wins this game, 
I think as a whole, they're a better team. And, yeah, I just see Carton, Perez, McEwen, that's an elite top three. I think Theo John's one of the top defenders in the Big East. We can see what Cart- we can see what a Garcia does at the five. But overall, I like Marquette more. Well, you know, I'm picking Marquette too. And I think what I really want to do, you know, we talk about X factors. Samir Torrance, possibly. But you know who I'm throwing up the X factor for? And maybe I'll throw it as a – you know, to play off the show's name, my own nickname, an icebreaker in this game, Jamal Kane. I agree. You know, this, I love Jamal Kane. This guy, he's a versatile guy at six foot seven, and you know, he keeps defenses on it because he's got a good looking three point shot. If he gets in a rhythm and start knocking him down, he loves that corner pocket three, by the way. And if you know, if he gets in a rhythm, starts knocking him down, you know, if defenses forget about him when they're worrying about guys like. McEwen and DJ Carton, he could make a big difference, you know, coming off the bench or, you know, if they want to start Garcia over him, um, which, you know, that, that's a very real possibility. But I, I really think, you know, I think depth is going to play a big role and guys like Torrance, Jamal Kane, or even a Greg Elliott could make a difference. Yeah, I agree for sure. Jamal Kane's a tremendous player. So, uh, so to round out part one of this, we got what I like to call the Tariq Owens Bowl. St. John's, Texas Tech, <laughs> December 3rd in Lubbock. Um, St. John's, a team that was picked surprisingly low in the Big East preseason poll at number nine out of 11. Texas Tech, in a very tough Big 12, is picked towards the top, kind of in the middle of sorts, but still a top 15 team in the country with a lot of talent coming back, including a former Big East guy, Mac McClung, a guy who in his career has performed very well against Georgetown. He had a big game at St. John's um, at the Garden his freshman year, and then he put up a big performance in D.C. his sophomore year. Um, you know, I, I really look turn to him for being a big – a big difference maker in this game because I mean, he's performed very well historically against the Johnnies. I feel like he's going to do the same again. I mean, he just knows how to beat them in and out. I'm not sure how much time uh, Chris Beard is planning on playing McClung this season. Uh, The waiver came late on McClung. Uh, He actually, he put in for the transfer kind of late as well. He put in for the transfer in the middle of May and the, and, it, and the waiver didn't get approved until I believe it was the middle of October. Uh, so I'm not sure how much time Beard has had, Chris Beard at Texas Tech has had to work with McClung to see how much trust he has to get. Now, maybe he jumps off, maybe he comes off the bench in the six man or a seventh man capacity and puts up a lot of points in a hurry. I'm not sure if Texas Tech's plan here is to make it a fast pace, high scoring game. I think they want to keep the I think they want to keep it half court. I think they want to sort of keep possession of the ball is going to be very important for Texas Tech, as we saw against with Big East teams against St. John's last year, because St. John's plays that quote unquote forty minutes of hell, and they play this tough pressure and they're bringing a lot of people back from last season, as you know, uh, Rasheed Dunn, Greg Williams, uh, Justin Champagne, uh, Josh Roberts down low. So it's going to be the pressure defense that St. John's plays against a deliberate uh, half-court game uh, run, run a lot of the shot clock by Texas Tech. 
Uh, Texas Tech is the home team. Texas Tech is more talented. Texas Tech is ranked. Uh, so it's a tough spot for St. John's. But St. John's was in tough spots last year as well. West Virginia in the Big 12 battle, uh, they picked them off at the Garden. And then I think it was two weeks later, they went out to San Francisco and knocked off a top 20 Arizona team. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is the type of, this is, of course, the biggest game St. John's plays on their non-conference schedule heading into the Big East. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see if Anderson can get the Red Storm hyped up enough to maybe pick off a Texas Tech uh, in an interesting spot. I also think they're going to have a couple of thousand fans in the building in Texas Tech that, that and I don't know if that's going to be a big impact, but uh, you know, I, I think the rules in Texas are going to be a little bit different than the rules we're going to see in some of the other places. I don't know if that's going to make a big difference, but on paper, Texas Tech has more talent. I'm going to pick Texas Tech to win the game in about the 8-9 range, but I would not be surprised if St. John's can bring a big enough effort uh, to cause the Red Raiders to struggle a little bit. Uh, before I send it to Sean, uh, Justin Champagne is Julian's twin Oh, Julian, brother. I'm sorry. I get him mixed up with the guy from Pitt. My bad. I, should they're I, they're, I mean, they're twins. Mine is so for me. They're twins. <laughs> so you have a little bit of <laughs> don't, don't worry about it too much. Sean, I'll, 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 I'll send it to you now. Texas Tech, a lot of depth, and that's what's going to help them in this matchup from what I can see. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you mentioned Mac McClung. He's actually a guy I'm not very high on. He was kind of forced into the role of doing a lot at Georgetown. He's not a good shooter. Hopefully that improves. That's my biggest issue with him. I think he's a guy that's just more popular, just is flashy play than actually good. But, you know, his stats pop off the page for sure. I just not a big fan. Uh, but overall, Texas Tech, they do have a lot of talent with Terrence Shannon, who's going to be a first-round pick next year. Kevin McCullough is really good. And then they add a couple transfers with Marcus Santos Silva, Joel Natambwe. Those two down low should play a pretty big role. Santos Silva is a bruiser down low, uses a left hand, super soft touch. He's just an atrocious free throw shooter, like around 50% last year at VCU. That was uh, not great. But Namari Burnett's one of my favorite freshmen in the country. He's a 6'4 com combo guard who can score from anywhere on the court. I think he'll have a big role in Jamarius Burton coming in from Wichita State. He's a really good shooter. I think he'll have a great season for Chris Beard, depending on how much he plays. But overall, I think Texas Tech wins this game easily. You know, I'm definitely thinking a double-digit Texas Tech victory in yep. this one. Um, you know, I was looking at this matchup because, like, again, like, I really – for some reason, it's like Mac McClung sees St. John's on the schedule, and I guarantee you his eyes must light up. I mean – even, I mean, granted, Georgetown St. John's have a rivalry, but knowing how good he's been, I know in only two games that he's played against him because he missed the other two games because of injury, uh, technically three, including the biggest tournament this past year. I mean, he's just historically been a good performer against St. John's. I wonder if Chris Beard's going to try to use that to his advantage. That'd be interesting. It, it would probably also be the only time when Texas Tech will play a team uh, back east. So it might be the one time when you know, Big East fans actually watch a game that Mac McClung's participating in if, they, if, they, if they're not going to be watching other Big 12 games during the season. So it might be the one time when, you know, everyone's, oh, here's Mac McClung. I remember that guy. And, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the one game where he gets a little bit extra motivation knowing that he can show, you know, knowing he's got an audience watching, you know, back East who's going to be, hey, what why did Mac McClung go to Texas Tech? Well, guess what? He goes to Texas Tech. He's playing on a team that's nationally ranked. He's playing on a team that, you know, if everything breaks right, 
they might contend for the Big 12 title, and they might do some damage in March Madness, given how good a coaching job Chris Beard usually does in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, I mean, there was a reason, part of the reason was, of course, because, you know, things just collapsed so badly at Georgetown. But then, you know, he had how many other schools probably wanted Mac McClung, and he decided there had to be a reason he had to go to Texas Tech. So this will be a good, this will be an interesting opportunity to see how he meshes in Chris Beard's system, which you might think that he doesn't quite fit. But given that the one thing Texas Tech really might give them a little bit more than they've had in the past is a big scorer like McClung. Uh, and speaking of Georgetown, when we come back as part of the next four matches, we're going to preview on this. Georgetown's matchup with a bit of a local rival, geographic proximity, we'll say it's kind of local because it's not too far. Their matchup with West Virginia, we're going to preview that and three others when we come back here on the Igloo. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back inside the Igloo. Three matchups down, seven to go. Now we move into the December 6th slate, a day with the most games, a triple header of games that we're going to see. And it starts in our nation's capital. I kind of alluded to it before the break. Georgetown hosting West Virginia, another top 15 team in the preseason poll out of the Big 12. And a team that's returning a lot of what made them a top 25 team at the end of last year. A team that also, by the way, upset Baylor to end the regular season in their uh, final game of the regular season um, a year ago. and. A Georgetown team, on the other hand, that, let's put it this way, is not going to be very good. Uh, losing McClung in year seven, and overall, and let's not forget the fact that they lost a bunch of pieces earlier last season, like James Akinjo and Josh LeBlanc, that affected their overall outcome of last season. Picked to finish at the bottom of the Big East and facing are one of the best teams in the country, one of the best teams in the Big 12. This just has bloodbath written all over it. I think the one thing that you, Georgetown might be able to stay in this game because West Virginia last year had trouble scoring. Uh, I mean, they, they have – I mean, look, look at the talent. Tashimbe is – Tshembe is going to be a starter in the NBA. I mean, that guy is that guy is a beast down low, big guy, rebounds everything. Uh, he had some trouble scoring last year. Uh, then you got Derek Culver, another guy who's got NBA written all over him. That guy is going to get paid to play sooner rather than later. Another guy who just dominates in the paint. Uh, so you're you're talking you're talking West Virginia might have the three or four best guys on the court that night. The problem is that last year they would get in the situations where they would score games in the 50s and the low 60s. Uh, so if they haven't figured their offense out, uh, it might be the type of thing where they have a hard time putting a Georgetown away simply because they struggle to score. They struggle to score points. Uh, but I mean, if they have their act together offensively in terms of shooting and in terms of hitting their foul shots, I don't think there's a way that Georgetown can keep up with them. And I, you know, Again, you know, Georgetown has guys who can score. Javon Blair, Jamarco Pickett, uh, Jalen Harris, their point guard, uh, can score. I mean, they have some guys who can score. The problem is that talent-wise, uh, they have little to no hope of 
keeping up with West Virginia if West Virginia brings anything close to an A effort uh, in a game like this. Sean, uh, I mean, I, I think my thoughts are pretty clear on this. West Virginia Georgetown just sounds like a nightmare if you're Georgetown. Yeah. Um, in West Virginia, they have the talent to just wear you down and just beat you down, not just physically, but like mentally too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Georgetown is significantly the worst team in this conference and West Virginia has final four potential. I don't even think this game will be close. It'll probably be a 22 to 25 point victory for West Virginia. I feel like, like, I don't think this game will be even remotely close. Oscar Shibwe is a stud. He's going to be an NBA player one day. Like Patrick said before, this West Virginia team, while they did struggle at times to score, Miles McBride looks to be a future star who's a really good defender, and he will score quite a bit this year, I feel like. But uh, overall, you look at what West Virginia does and does well. They were the third-best defensive team in the country last season, according to Ken Palm, and they had the most, the best uh, offensive rebound percentage. <clears throat> when you had Cutis Wahab and Timothy Ego Hefe are both solid players, but they just can't keep up with the talent of Shibwe and Culver and Gabe Osaboyan. Uh, Isaiah Cottrell coming in, a talented freshman. Those four are just going to make it impossible down low. And then McBride can stop Don Carey or Jalen Harris or whoever they have playing guard. The only real difference maker I feel like for Georgetown is Jamarco Pickett, but I feel like Osaboyan could shut him down on the wing. I just don't see any kind of advantage for Georgetown in this game. Coaching's uh, way in favor of West Virginia also. It's just everything weighs in West Virginia's favor. This game's not going to be close, and Georgetown is going to have a rough season. I actually feel bad the way they set – I don't know how they set it up, but particularly uh, – and I'm looking, at another, I'm looking at another matchup we're going to talk a little bit down the road. I feel as if a better matchup would have been putting West Virginia against Providence and putting Georgetown against TCU. Uh, because as we're gonna get as we're gonna get to later, Providence is slated to be sort of in the same position in the Big East standings that West Virginia is going to be in, like sort of in that third, fourth place range. And then you get the TCU, who's also slated to be closer to the bottom of the Big Twelve. But I guess it's just the way the two when they set the matchups up. Maybe part of it was because uh, it was the most convenient place for West Virginia to travel to go to Georgetown, and maybe just part of it was just luck of the draw but I think they could have made a little bit better. Ma I mean, again, you know, this is now, it is sliding Georgetown a little bit by saying that they're probably not going to be very competitive in this game, but it's just sort of, and maybe it's just the way they set the matchups up to make things convenient travel-wise, but, and to set them to figure out the schedules a little bit. But, you know, it's just, it's just the way, sometimes it's the way it goes. You know, they, they set the schedules and you, unfortunately, you get a clunker like this matchup, so. But I do think West Virginia wins by at least double digits. Yeah, I mean, if they win by single digits, I'm going to be shocked. Like, I, I think it'll take a superhuman effort from Georgetown. They're going to need to shoot the lights out. Javon Blair is going to need to put up, like, a 30-piece. Like, he did, like, I think once or twice last year. Southpaw can stroke it. But, I mean, in a game like that against West Virginia, even, even then it's not going to be good enough. I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to say that. Now, the next game, I think another, like St. John's, Texas Tech, uh, or I shouldn't, like St. John's, Texas Tech, there's storyline here because Iowa State has former DePaul guard Jalen Coleman lands on their squad, who was their big shot maker a year ago. I mean, 
the game against Texas Tech in the battle last year. He hit big shot after big shot. He hit the game-tying shot to send into overtime. And then in overtime, he hit the three that ended up putting them ahead for good. And now it's going to be him on the other side against the Blue Demons. Um, with, but the, with this game being at Hilton, and I know DePaul might have the best player overall in this matchup with Charlie Moore, it's hard to not pick the Cyclones in a matchup like this. Sean? Uh, yeah, actually, I'm going to go with DePaul. Iowa State, uh, they're just not a good team to me. Razier Bolton's a good player. I th- he's a little inefficient. Let's see what he can do. But this is a team that won 12 games, I believe, last year. And they had Tyrese Halliburton for three-fourths of the season. He went 12th to the Kings in the NBA draft. And they were terrible with him. They get a lot of they get a lot of transfers with Tyler Harris from Memphis, Jalen Coleman Lands. But the thing about Coleman Lands is he's been regarded as a great shooter, but he only shot 32, 33 percent the last two seasons that he played at DePaul. I just I don't see it as much with him. I don't think he's a great player. George Conde, it's a really good defender. Solomon Young is a good score down low, but he's an awful defender. I mean, this team has a whole Xavier Foster is a good seven footer. Let's see what he can do as a freshman. But overall, I don't see it with Iowa State. Charlie Moore is a decent enough player. He kind of chucks it at times. But you look at some of the transfers they got with Ray Salnay from Monmouth, Javon Freeman-Liberty, who uh, should receive a waiver, I guess we'll see in the coming days. But Chicago native, no reason he shouldn't receive a waiver, had uh, 15 a game for Valpo last year. Jalen Butts, I actually believe he's hurt. But uh, Romeo Weems, he's a guy that could be a first-round pick next year if he has a breakout season, which I think he could. And then it, if Butts is out for that game, Polly Polycap could start. Or uh, Nick Ungenda is a guy I'm high on. He's a pretty good player. So we'll have to see what those two do down low. That could be the real difference maker. But these are, I mean, if you're picking the coach, it's Steve Prome for sure because Dave Lato is a terrible coach. There's no reason he should still be the head coach of DePaul. <laughs> I've said this numerous times. He only got an extension because he was friends with that AD who was retiring. And uh, – I think DePaul wins, but it's not going to be a fun game to watch because both are not good. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit more worried about the Paul situation, given that who knows if Butts is going to be. Butts apparently left the team for reasons unexplained. Uh, so who knows if he just needs to take a couple of weeks off to sort out a personal matter. I mean, DePaul's on a break right now because, unfortunately, they had a COVID positive. Uh, Returning this week. Yeah, they had a COVID positive, I think, sometime like last week. Uh, But they should be back in time to get ready for this matchup. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, how much would missing a guy like Butts, who was a consistent rebounder and scorer down low last season, uh, actually complimented Paul Reed very well uh, with the poor, with the Paul. I think, as Tim mentioned earlier, Charlie Moore is the best player on the court between the two teams. Moore actually played much better in the uh, non-conference last season because teams didn't teams weren't ready for Charlie Moore. That could be an issue for Iowa State. You know, Iowa State. You know, they haven't had a lot. Nobody's going to have a lot of time to practice going into these games, and they might not be ready for what Moore can bring to the table in this game. Uh, I'm going to stick with my pick at the Paul that I made on the piece uh, last week. I think again. I think it also goes to something which Sean said about you know just Iowa State's. You know, who can – can I trust Rashad Bolton? Can I trust George Condit? I don't know. Uh, but in terms of people who have won games like this in the past, I can trust Charlie Moore. So maybe Charlie Moore makes the big play in a game like this 
uh, which should be a pretty tight game. I mean, again, maybe not the most entertaining game in the world, to a matchup between two teams who are probably going to end up in the bottom of their respective conferences. But, you know, that's why, that's why you play the battle, uh, because you get a matchup like this, which, you know, again, you, neither team's got, you know, realistic NCAA hopes. It's a little entertaining game you throw in in the off-conference. And maybe the pull by a little bit, given the fact, again, that you, there won't be as much Hilton magic with a limited or uh, a non-audience participating game. You know, it's weird that I'm in the minority here in picking the Cyclones, and I think the guy who's going to make the difference, and you're going to be shocked, I just think Jalen Coleman lands is going to find a way to burn his old team. Somehow. So the, so the Paul fans, if that happens, by the way. Like, they saw him throw up enough bricks last season in the conference play to, you know, sort of be like, hey, if, if he hits six threes, God bless Iowa State. Like, honestly, it'll be like they'll be sent to the ninth circle of hell if that happens. <laughs> That's a Dante's Inferno reference, kids. Yep. Um, but uh, moving on to the final matchup of uh, this Sunday slate, December 6th. I think this is the second best game you're going to see on this slate in Austin, Texas. Villanova in Texas. This is a good, good game. You have number three Villanova, a top 20 Texas squad. You know, Villanova's arguably the better team, but Shaka Smart seems like he's got control of this program now. He's gotten trending in the right direction again. But, you know, we see hype around Texas teams a lot, but they oftentimes it doesn't really pan out. So, Sean, I, I'll put it to you, you know, like, there, of course, there's that stigma. Anytime there's a Texas team with a number next to his name, they kind of struggle with that. Um, and especially in a game against a team like Villanova, this might hurt them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you look at some of the – they added top ten player in Greg Brown, the last two uh, high five-star recruits. They added Mo Bamba and Jackson Hayes. They were both drafted in the top ten after their freshman season, and Texas won a total of zero NCAA tournament games with them. So if that's just how the Shaka Smart era has been. He's been able to get to the tournament sometimes, sometimes not. They won the NIT two seasons ago. They would have returned to the little dance the NIT again this year. So we'll see what happens or, uh, this past year. But I, I see a lot of talent with this Texas team, but I think Villanova is significantly better. I mean, Matt Coleman should take a huge jump as a senior, maybe around 16 points a game, continue shooting at a high clip. I like Kai Jones a lot. He's six. 10 6 11 super athletic and long and can shoot he'll come off the bench you had greg brown jericho sims is one of the better athletes in college basketball in my opinion just freak athlete really good shot blocker can throw down some amazing dunks jace febris is back healthy we'll see what he can do as a sharp shooter you have courtney ramey coming back another really good guard andrew jones coming back but overall you look at what villanova has with calling gillespie jeremiah robinson earl those two are the two best players on the court probably and then you have Jermaine Samuels, you have Caleb Daniels, you have uh, – who am I missing here? Justin Moore. Justin Moore, there you go. You're missing, uh, you're missing Justin Moore, who might be the third best player in the court. In uh, I, would, I would take Coleman over Moore, but yeah. I don't know about that. I don't know about – I think, I think a lot – I think Moore is going to surprise a lot of people this season. I think it's something where, you know, Moore was sort of – look, I mean, for all intents and purposes, nobody expected Moore to crack the starting lineup last year at Villanova. Yet towards the end of the season, Moore may have been their second best scorer behind Sadiq Bay. 
And I, I think more is sort of more can see the NBA given how many Villanova guys have been drafted over the past Dante. You look at the talent Villanova has been gotten drafted and Justin Moore knows that if he can continue to progress as a player, he's going to be one of those guys who's going to hear his name called on the NBA draft. So I think, you know, Justin Moore is playing with a purpose this season, the way he played with a purpose last year, of I want to get my minutes. This year, his purpose is not only winning the fourth national title for Villanova, but then also coming in and maybe if everything breaks right, getting himself in a position where he could be drafted. I would definitely be shocked if this was not Jeremiah Robinson Earl's last season at Villanova, given that a lot of people have him in the top 20 in next year's draft. And then, of course, you've got Gillespie, who, you know, some people are picking him to be Big East Player of the Year. All sh a lot of people say, you know, what is, what is Gillespie's top talent? He's not the best shooter. He's not the quickest guy. But you know what Gillespie, Colin Gillespie does? He wins. And that might be the one thing which puts them over the top in a matchup with a talented Texas team and a team that's bringing almost everybody back from, you know, last season where, you know, I, they came in 500, but they were competitive in the Big 12. Yeah, and I mean, I, I mean, I agree with both of you. Villanova is by far the better team in this. Um, but them at the Frank Irwin Center, Center the Longhorns are going to put up a fight. But I think Villanova, I think you're going to see remnants of, you know, teams from yesteryear, you know, from the, from the past five seasons where, you know, it might be close early on, but they're just going to find that second win and just go on that big run and put this game out of reach. Um, like, you know, there were some games where, you know, Villanova was only up by like a bucket, you know, with 10 minutes left and they end up winning by like 15 somehow, some way. And I'm not saying they're going to win by 15 in Austin, but, I could definitely see them winning by double digits and just pulling away with a big late run, you know, like the juggernaut Villanova teams did, you know, back in, you know, from 15 to 18. I could definitely see that happening. And Villanova has, this might arguably be their most talented team, you know, front to back. Um, so overall, you know, what are we looking at in terms of like, I mean, if we're all going Villanova, you know, what are we looking at for margin of victory? I think it's going to be closer than you think, Tim. I think, you know, Texas plays, you know, smart plays a deliberative type game. Uh, they play a lot of half court. I probably, I would probably put it in, let's say, the four to six range. Sean? I'll say uh, 10 to 12. Okay. Yeah, we're going double. Okay. Uh, you know, oh, my God. Like, it's tough for me, but I'm probably going to go I'll – pro I'll probably go eight. Like, I, I think that's where I'll cap it at. Like, they'll be up by, like, 14. I, I, but, like, and Texas is going to, like, find a way to get some, like, garbage points late in the game. That's just my opinion. But then, yeah. finally, uh, to wrap up part two, the best matchup by far in this slate, Tuesday, December 8th, at the Fog, Creighton. Kansas. This is going to be intriguing because Kansas, they will not have Silvio D'Souza this year, but Creighton, they're going to have, you know, so much of last year's tremendous team coming back. Yes, they don't have Tyshawn Alexander, but they have the Big East preseason player of the year, Marcus Zigorowski. And, you know, you can make an argument that he might be the best player on either side of the court. Uh, that could make a difference in this game, but 
But when it comes to coming in the fog, is this Creighton team going to be ready to handle that kind of environment? Sean, I'll put it up to you. Uh, I think they could handle the environment, but overall, I don't think they're the better team. Kansas is just a different team. They are very true. They're very talented and super deep. I mean, to me, I don't have them ahead of Baylor, but it's super close. I mean, with the with the Tristan Clark retirement thing, I would probably move Baylor to third, and I have Kansas fifth. So they're super close for me. Kansas against Gonzaga this upcoming Thursday will be a tremendous uh, litmus test for Gonzaga or for Kansas. But we'll have to see what happens. I just like the depth and everything of this team. Today it was announced that Bill Self said Christian Brown, the six-six who shot forty percent from deep last year will be a starter along with David McCormick and Ochai Abaji. And uh, they're going to figure out the last two later, which is likely to be Tyon Grant Foster and uh, Marcus Garrett. Marcus Garrett. Yeah, that's who I was missing. Marcus Garrett is the four confirmed starters. Uh, and then Grant Foster, the Juco product, will likely start. They have those four. Then you have uh, Tristan Anaruna off the bench, a super versatile defender. He'll have a big season. Jalen Wilson, former top 50 recruit who broke his leg in his uh, first or second game last year. He'll be back. Mitch Lightfoot. This is just a deep team. David McCormick's going to be tremendous stepping into Yudoka Azabuki's spot that he left after graduating. I think Bryce Thompson's a tremendous young freshman who can score from anywhere. Marcus Garrett's the best defender in the country. But I do like Creighton quite a bit. I think Marcus Zagorowski's a National Player of the Year candidate. And I like Christian Bishop quite a bit down low. Jacob Epperson coming back. Uh, after missing all of last season, Mitch Ballack being one of the best shooters in college basketball. There's a lot to like with Creighton. I think it'll be super close, but I think Kansas just has the depth and a little more talent, better coaching overall. I think Kansas is the winner here. The one, the one thing I think which gives Kansas an edge in this matchup is that as opposed to some of the other big men who Creighton usually runs circle arounds in Big East play, uh, the Kansas big men, guys like McCormick, uh, guys like Inor, in, and you are, I, I can't pronounce, and you are, and you wanna, all those Anaruna. big guys, yes, all those big guys for Kansas are not only big, they're good athletes, uh, and they have speed, and I think that's something where it's going to be a lot harder the way, you know, look, Creighton plays beautiful offense, uh, they move the ball around, they hit the open man, uh, they can hit the open three, I, I don't think, and particularly since there's only going to there, there'll probably be at most a couple of thousand fans at the at, at, at Allen Fieldhouse. I don't think the crowd's going to take them out of their game. I think what's going to take them out of their game is that Kansas can bring uh, a defensive pressure that few teams in the country can bring. And I think that's something where, you know, when you look at the type of teams that Creighton was able to beat and beat up pretty badly, teams like Seton Hall late in the season, teams like Butler, uh, teams like uh, Xavier, where they where they just shot a bunch of threes and blew all those teams out. That's and easier Vill said. And Villanova too, like they did at Wells Fargo. Yeah, I think that's easier said than done when you've got the type of defense uh, and the type of talent that Kansas can bring to the table. I do think it's going to be a close game. I think it's it's a much watch. I think it's you know it, it's some it's it's you got to mark it on the calendar and and DVR it if you have to. But I do think that. At the end of the day, Kansas has that much more defensively, which should be able to stymie that high-powered Creighton offense. Yeah, and, you know, obviously, I, I, I really love Zigorowski. I You know, I love Creighton's offense. You know, it's a thing of beauty, like, to watch, you know, Greg McDermott's an offensive mastermind. But 
going up against a coach like Bill Self and just the overall talent that he has, it's going to be tough for Creighton to combat. Uh, you know, I, this is going to be by far the toughest challenge they're going to have out of conference. And it's tough to pick against Kansas in the fog. I'm going with Kansas. I'm going to say by eight. Uh, it might be high to some, like, I, but I, I, you know, I, I would say like between five and eight. I, let's put it there. Yeah, I think it'll be a one-possession game. I'm with Sean on that. All right. So, when we come back, we got the last three matchups. Three not-so-sexy not so matchups, but, you know, they're, they're three matchups that, for the most part, are pretty equal. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at those and wrap our preview of the Big East Big 12 Battle 2020 when we come back here on the Igloo. Seven down. Three to go, flipping it from part one where we had three down, seven to go. Uh, we crossed off four in part two. Now we got our last three. We got two games coming up on December the 9th, which is a Wednesday. First game is going down at the Centos Center in Cincinnati, Oklahoma versus Xavier. This is an interesting one. Oklahoma looking like another, you know, nine to ten-ish seed tournament team, roughly. Like, you know, right around the bubble like they have been in the last three years, really. Meanwhile, Xavier maybe picked high to some, projected finish seventh according to the Big East preseason coaches poll. They lose Najee Marshall and Tyreek Jones, as well as Quentin Gooden. And Xavier historically solid at the Centos Center, but with COVID and everything, they're going to lack the home court advantage and, you know, the extreme fans that they have. Um, so, Pat, I'll put it up to you. Um, overall, you know, who does this matchup favor? Uh, that's an interesting point because you've got – Oklahoma's got the experience. Uh, they're bringing a lot of players back. Uh, they're bringing back Brady Manick. They're bringing back Austin Reeves, who a lot of people are surprised that Reeves was picked first team Big 12. Uh, they have also the oldest coach in the Big 12 in Lon Kruger, who's been, who's been to the NCAA tournament, I think, in either four or five places. Uh, then you go to Xavier, who has a lot of young talent. Uh, their two best players, this year, two of their best players this year are sophomores in Kai Kai Tandy and Zach Fremantle. Uh, they have Paul Scruggs at the guard position. Uh, so, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting matchup between the, the emerging youth of Xavier against the veteran talent of Oklahoma. I think the issue, though, is that the veteran talent of Oklahoma is not of the highest caliber. I mean, it, it, on the one hand, the Big 12 is one of the toughest conferences in the country, uh, and coming in seventh place might be as good as coming in, let's say, second or third place in a conference, let's say, like the SEC. But the problem here is that there's a reason why you get picked seventh, and that's because your talent level is not quite as high. I think this is a this is a good matchup for a team like Xavier because again they're going to be the home team even though they don't have they're only they're only going to apparently they're going to allow about two or three hundred people in the Centos Center, and I think if they let two hundred three hundred people in there, our guy uh, our guy Jason who was on the uh, who was on the podcast, good old Captain Xavier. Uh, might be in the building. They might be able to hear Captain Xavier, even if he's not in the building. 
And I think it's the type of thing where you're talking about the talent that Xavier has gives them that much of an edge over what Oklahoma is going to bring to the table in that matchup. And that's why I, I, pick, I pick Xavier in a game which could be a one or two possession game. But I think Xavier's got that much more talent, which should put them over the top in a matchup against uh, probably going to be a well-coached Oklahoma team, a well-disciplined Oklahoma team. But, you know, even, even a lot of people question Reeves' ability to hit the big shot late in games. Uh, which is why, you know, Oklahoma is being projected to be uh, in the second half of the Big 12 this season. Sean, uh, uh, like, like Patrick said, they have a lot of experience coming back. Do you think that could be the big difference maker in this kind of game? Uh, it's definitely a difference maker, but I think from a pure talent standpoint, I just think Oklahoma's better. Yeah, uh, Umoja Gibson coming in from North Texas, he was a great shooter there alongside JV on Hamlet last season. Now he's headed to Oklahoma. You have Austin Reeves, who struggled for much of last season, very inconsistent, but he had a 40-point outbreak against a TCU last year. It showed his potential. He was a really good scorer at Wichita State for his two seasons there before transferring. I think there's a lot of untapped potential with him. I do think Brady Manning kind of is what he is. He's a four-man that can shoot at a really high clip. I like him quite a bit. But you have some guys like Cora Kawaith. He is a former Juco product who's a freak athlete and an elite defender. He might be one of the top defenders, uh, low-post defenders in the country. I think that he's going to be the real difference maker in this game. While I like Zach Fremantle, I don't think that he's strong enough to like uh, strength-wise overall to battle with Kuwait. I think Kuwait will shut him down. I think Fremantle's a real difference maker for the Xavier team this year. Uh, besides him, you have Alondis Williams, who I like quite a bit. Davion Harmon, who was a top six-year recruit just a season ago. He should play a pretty big role for Lon Kruger. Just top to bottom, I like this Oklahoma team more. I like Zach Fremantle. I like uh, Kiki Tandy. Obviously, Ben Stanley's waiver got denied. That's unfortunate and pretty ridiculous. But Like, you know, if you want to call it bullshit, like, I think you can say it. Eh, I'll, I'll keep it a uh, PG. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. You know, like, if you want to hear it, like, you'll, when it comes out, icebreaker on that is coming up after this part, so you don't want to miss that. Yeah, pretty ridiculous there. But uh, maybe Adam Kunkel gets a waiver. Hasn't been confirmed if he's going to get one or not. But if he does, transfer from Belmont was uh, the leading scorer for the Bruins last season. He should be pretty good. And then you see Colby Jones is a guy that's been getting a lot of hype. He was only a three-star recruit around 200th in the country. But I've seen a lot of hype around him. Travis Steele seems to like him quite a bit. So we'll see what he can do. But while they lose Tyreek Jones and Najee Marshall – and Quentin Gooden, who was pretty bad last season, but, you know, he was there for four years, so we can count him, too. I do think Tyreek Jones is the biggest loss. You just can't replace Tyreek Jones. He elite rebounder, his intensity, just not something you can replace. Yeah. I don't know. I, I sort of think that Fremantle's going to emerge this season. That's, I, mean, I, I, I know, Sean, you said that you, you think that Fremantle's going to take a step up as well. I, this, it, I'm not sure if – you know, Fremantle's going to be as hyped for a game like this, you know, sort of like a non-conference. Like, you know, for example, Xavier, before that game against Oklahoma, plays Cincinnati uh, during that weekend. I think they're playing Cincinnati the same day as those three games we talked about in the second segment, that, that first Saturday in December. So I maybe, you know, it's I, – I don't know if this is an insult to Oklahoma – but a game against Oklahoma might be a letdown game uh, for it, it might be a trap game for a team like Xavier 
given that they're coming off of the Cincinnati game and then after this Oklahoma game, they jump in the Big East play. So this might be the type of game where you're like, you know, you know, at the three of us are hyped about the Big East Big 12 battle, but is Xavier going to be as hyped for a game like this? That might be where Xavier has a problem because if you've got to get yourself up for a game against Cincinnati, which is a brutal rivalry, and then you got to get yourself up for some of those big – I think their first – if I remember correctly, Tim, I thought their first Big East game was Marquette, but maybe I'm wrong yeah, about it's, that. It's at Providence on the 12th. It's Providence, so even, even better. You're playing a team like Providence who's predicted to be in the top three or top four. You just came off of Cincinnati and, you know, Oklahoma, okay, I mean, it's a name. It's a team which everyone knows about, but it's just something where Xavier's going to, you know, is Xavier going to bring a maximum effort given what type of effort they're going to be bringing on either end of that matchup? But, I, I, you know, it, I, I, you know I, I respect what uh, Sean just said about what he thinks of Oklahoma's talent, but I think that, you know, Xavier, I think in terms of the ceiling of the Xavier players, their ceiling is a little bit higher than the ceiling of the Oklahoma players. And, again, it's one of these things where, you know, do I trust anybody on Oklahoma to hit a big shot in a, in a one possession game uh, where if they need to hit a basket, let's say to force overtime and to win a regulation, do I trust them to do that? My opinion is I don't, but you know, that's just, that's just how it goes. So well, do you trust on Xavier to do that? Uh, I probably, I think Kai Kai Tandy's the type of game. First of all, Tandy and Scruggs. I think those are two guys. I think Tandy's going to take a little bit of a step up this year. And I think Scruggs has shown in the past that he's got the potential uh, to make big plays. I mean, nobody makes big plays the way Najee Marshall made uh, last season at times for Xavier. But I think it's just something where you're looking at guys like Tandy and Scruggs are two guys who have that type. Tandy's got, uh, Tandy's got ridiculous scoring potential. You know, whether that comes out, I mean, you know, I, I think – Teams that can bring a good defensive effort might be able to slow Tandy down this season. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, we'll have to see what type of, again, we'll have to see, again, it's another situation where, you know, does, does Tandy have the ability, the the Xavier guys just get emotionally spent after playing Cincinnati where they have to come back two days later and can they bring the type of effort they may have to bring to bring it to, to play it, to play a well-coached, well-disciplined and, a solid Oklahoma team uh, that, you know, just, that just brings a good effort night in and night out. Why Oklahoma loses, you know, why Oklahoma is probably going to be in the, about the 500 range in the big 12 this season, if not a game or two below it, is just simply as they just can't match up with the talent of the Baylors and the Kansases and the West Virginias. Well, and the, the really funny thing is, you know, on paper, the bigger game for Xavier is Oklahoma because Oklahoma is a better team than Cincinnati. But, of course, mm-hmm. there's that rivalry connotation. Sean, Can't tell Xavier guys that. <laughs> I mean, no, like I'm saying, for, for Xavier guys, the bigger game is Cincinnati because of the rivalry. But if we're just talking about what's gonna, what it's going to do more for the resume, and, Sean, I think you'll back me up on this, it's Oklahoma. Yeah, definitely. Oklahoma for me. I don't remember where I had them ranked uh, in my Big 12 rankings, but I think I had them sixth, maybe a spot ahead. Seventh I had them. I think you had him seventh. I think you had. I had him oh, ahead of Oklahoma you State. You had Oklahoma State sixth, and you had Oklahoma seventh. I, I, I re-listened to that podcast this uh, morning, so I wanted okay. to get ready yeah. for this. Yeah. I mean, I have those two neck and neck. I think they're, you know, obviously Oklahoma State's not a tournament team because they can't. Uh, but I think not Oklahoma. Yet. 
Yeah, I don't know. I hope they change it, but I'm not counting on it. The NCAA uh, doesn't like doing things correctly, so I'm sure that won't go well. But I think that they're, Oklahoma's a bubble team. I think Xavier's on the very, very back end of the bubble. I think Oklahoma's just more talented, uh, better coached. I just think overall – I mean, let's see if there's any kind of home court advantage for Xavier. Maybe, maybe not. But I think it'll be close. I'll say probably Oklahoma four or five point victory. You, you know, I'm kind of in agreement there. I like the Sooners. I think they'll end up winning it with, you know, a couple late free throws. So give me OU by six. Uh, so I'm going, boom, um, I'm going Boomer Sooner. Uh, Pat, I know you got Xavier, but uh, what's your margin there? Uh, probably two or three. Okay. All right. So the other game going on that night, December 9th, Providence TCU in Fort Worth. Uh, Jamie Dixon knows how to coach. He knows the Big East, you know, and last year he hosted a Big East Big 12, 12 battle game against Xavier, a game in which he lost and a graduate assistant that he had last year. And I don't know if he's, I got to double check if he's still there. Uh, former, um, even though he's only there for a year, former Big East guy, Matt Carlino from Marquette. Um, was on his staff last year, but now you get the Friars coming into town. Providence, man, youthful, you know, a lot of juniors that are talented, and you got senior leadership now, Nate Watson in the middle, and, of course, uh, Noah Horschler, transfer from North Florida. You know, obviously, the home team, you know, they have – you got to give them some credit where, you know, obviously they have an advantage because they're more familiar with what they play with. But in a matchup like this, you know, everything just goes against TCU. Providence has the edge in so many categories. Uh, but, Sean, I'll put it to you first now. Um, uh, what are some of the big edges that you think Providence has in this type of matchup? Yeah, I think the guard play. You have David Duke, who's could be a first-round pick next year. I like the jump he took. He's a tremendous defender, elite shooter. He's going to be an all-Big East guy, maybe all-Big East first team. He's going to be really good this year. A.J. Reeves obviously took a step back last season. Uh, hopefully his junior season brings back some of his freshman season success, but he's been inconsistent. He's a really good athlete. He can shoot uh, at times, but it's inconsistent. Good defender, lots of like with him. And then you look at Jared Bynum, a guy coming in from St. Joe's two seasons ago, for St. Joe's, he was really good as a freshman. He should play a solid role. Nate Watson versus Kevin Samuel, though, at the five should be a matchup to watch. Kevin Samuel's one of the top big men in the Big 12. I think he'd be one of the top peer big men in the country. An elite defender, shot blocker, and extremely efficient. He'll average a double-double this season like he did this past season. He'll play a big role. I just think Overall, Providence is much better, but I do like Francisco Farabello, Kevin Samuel, Jaden Lede coming in from Ohio State to TCU, uh, Charles O'Bannon coming in from USC, PJ Fuller. There's talent with TCU, but I just don't think they're there yet. And the matchup of Reeves and Duke, Noah Horchler, Nate, Wat Nate Watson, I just like that a lot more than I like TCU. I'll probably say Providence by nine. I pick Providence as well. I think the one thing TCU might have an opportunity to do in a game like this is make this game ugly, meaning that if the game is low scoring, if uh, if Samuel does what he's capable of doing down low uh, and, and makes things hard on guys like Watson, makes it difficult for their guards to score inside, uh, 
this could be the type of matchup. It, and unfortunately, Providence had games like this last season where they walked into the game, uh, games like the game against Northwestern in the Gavit games, uh, some of the games they played in their uh, – the game they, the game against Florida was maybe one of the worst games I've ever seen a Big East team play when they played Florida at Madison Square Garden the week it was before Barclays. Christmas list. Barclays, I'm sorry. It was in New York. But, I mean, it was one of the ugliest games I've ever seen a Big East team play when they, when they scored – when they lost to Florida by 30 points. Uh, but I think Providence is going to be a little more consistent this year. Uh, I, I think, again, guys like Duke, guys like Reeves want to prove that they are elite players. I mean, David Duke is uh, – David Duke might be playing to get himself in a position where he could be – maybe not this season, but he wants to play in the NBA. And I think this is the type of year where he's got to step it up. And maybe he's been working on his shooting and becoming more consistent. Reeves is another guy who was a top 50 guard when he got recruited by Providence. And he's another guy who this season, he's going to be looking to be more consistent and healthier on the court. And then you look at their new point guard, uh, Jared Bynum, who transfers from St. Joe's. He's probably a pass first, shoot second scorer, but he, he can hit the three. And I think it's really it, – a game like this, it might be up to him to keep TCU's defense honest uh, by hitting the shot on occasion when the opportunity comes up. I do think that if – I do think Providence is going to play a little more consistently this season, and I do like their chances in a matchup like this against TCU. You know, I, I think they – this team has learned a lot from their woes from last year where they lost a lot of games they shouldn't have lost. You know, we talk about – I mean – Florida, you could probably say, you know, considering Florida probably had a talent advantage back then, but, you know, some of the other games they lost, Penn at home, Long Beach State, the College of Charleston, and they barely beat Pepperdine, you know, and of course Northwestern, like, they had some ugly-ass losses, and I I think that's going to stick in their minds, and they're going to try to avoid a repeat of that this year so when they go into Fort Worth that's gonna be fresh in their minds and they're not gonna want to have that sense of deja vu and avoid that so give me Providence and I think they're gonna win rather convincingly I I got them by 11 in this ball game remember what they did last year in the battle they played at home and they wiped the floor with Texas so and that leads us finally we reach our final game it's a weird start time it's at a Friday afternoon at three December 11th awesome can't, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> 12 o'clock for Sean. <laughs> yeah, there we go. You got to get a little lunchtime hoop for you out yeah, west. Uh, love it. Kansas State Butler at Hinkle. Uh, I think this is a pretty equal matchup as far as I'm concerned, but I think, and I, and I, you know, I don't know how much you guys share the sentiment, but Butler to me is going to have a slight advantage in this game. And I think, Having a senior point guard, you know, who has such good control of the offense like Aaron Thompson, I think it's going to make a major difference in this ball game. you know, to have a senior floor general like him. I just don't see a path for Kansas State to keep this game competitive. I mean, I hate to say that, but, uh, you know, I, I, I really – their best player is a, player, a senior guard named Mike McGurl. Uh, put up double digits a game last year. But the problem here is that just, again, the games at Hankel, probably they're probably going to have a, they're probably going to have a thousand or 1500 fans in the building, whether that makes a difference or not, I'm not sure. But, you know, again, you talk about a veteran team like Butler, 
I know they lost a bunch of players last season, but you're talking about their three top guys in Aaron Thompson, Bryce Inzi, Bryce Golden. Uh, Jared Bolden's going to the transfer from Arkansas. Uh, should be South Carolina. South Carolina. I'm sorry. I knew he was from the SEC someplace. Jared Bolden might be able to hit a couple of shots for them. And then they've got that young talent uh, that's going to be supplementing what uh, – what Butler brings to the starting lineup. I just think that with the type of defensive intensity that Butler can bring to the table matched up against the sort of just the lack of offensive talent outside of McGurl just, just tells you that, you know, this just looks like a double digit win for Butler, you know, given maybe if the game was played at Kansas state, they might keep it a little more competitive, but this just screams as big win for Butler against uh, a Kansas State team. I, I, Sean, I think, picked them last in the Big 12. I know a lot of people have Butler down in the 8-9 range in the Big East. But, you know, just given what the style of play Butler has and just how little Kansas State brings to the table, I just don't see a path for them to uh, sneak out a victory at, uh, at Hinkle. Yeah, I, uh, I, I kind of agree. I think, I think this will be a close game. Kansas State, I feel like their best player is Rudy Williams coming in from Northeastern Oklahoma A&M Junior College. 21 a game last year, 50% from the field, three or 36% from deep head, nearly a triple-double per game. He's just a guy that was a JUCO All-American. He's a freak talent. He's going to be tremendous this year. Selton Miguel and Nigel Pack are two newcomers that could be pretty good. The reason I have Kansas State last is just because of the uncertainty and these guys never really playing together. Mike McGurl, he's kind of is what he is, but they have Davion Bradford, a seven footer. I think they could be a lot better than where I have them. It's just, I couldn't in my head justify putting them ahead of Iowa State or TCU, but all those three teams are kind of in the same region of not being very good. But I had Baylor 10th in the Big East, I believe, or Butler 10th in the uh, Big East, I believe. I'll actually say that Kansas State wins this game. I don't trust a shot maker on Butler. I just They don't have a guy who can go out there and hit a three consistently. Uh, Bryce Gold and Bryce Enzi are both good scorers down low, both really good players. Aaron Thompson can't shoot. Uh, Christian David's hurt still. Bo Hodges, if he gets a waiver, he can't shoot. Jair Bolden can shoot, but he's the only player that can shoot on this team. I just don't trust the lack of shooting. I think Rudy Williams could, you know, be the best player on the floor and take over. So that's why I say Kansas State by four. You know, I think uh, the rebuttal I'll have for you is that Butler wasn't really that, like, I don't think they were that great of a three-point shooting team. You know, before we went on air, we talked about Kamar Baldwin you know, tremendous score, but three-point percentage-wise, he was only making about one out of every three. You know, 33% yeah. is not all that great. Um, and, you know, really their only true, you know, three-point threat that they had was Sean McDermott. And well, That's a big loss. That is a big loss. Um, you know, but, you know, they were still able to, you know, win 12 of their first 13 games, you know, rise up all the way, um, you know, winning, going 12-1 and out of conference and winning 15 of their first 16. And, you know – Doing that without really, you know, having a major three-point threat outside of McDermott, um, you know, Baldwin could hit, you know, big shots, but, you know, you know, you kind of wait for that for a little while. But I think the big difference maker, I think Butler's defense, the way that Laval Jordan has his guys play, I think they're going to smother Kansas State. And I, I think that's going to wear him down and give Butler the advantage 
uh, to win a game like this. So um, <laughs> you call it Biggie's bias, if you will, but uh, Patrick and I going with our Biggie's team. Uh, I-, I think it's apropos that this is a, the the last game we're picking. A bit, the Big 12 representative is picking the Big 12 squad, and the two Big East guys are going with the Big East school. How about that? Yeah, I just think when it comes down to it, Butler's probably going to be in the bottom 30 in terms of three-point shooting percentage in the country this year. Like, obviously, they weren't they didn't have a ton of shooters last year, but McDermott had the highest offensive rating in college basketball last year. Like, he was just a phenomenal offensive player. He could really shoot, and that earned him a two-way contract with the Grizzlies, I believe. Very well-deserved, tremendous player. Kamar Baldwin, you know, 33% talking to me when I – of months ago but he just you know hit the good shots I mean he took a lot of them but he made a fair amount I guess 33 percent is not great but I don't know if they have a guy outside of uh, Jair Bolden who's going to shoot over you know Bolden will shoot 38 percent probably from three I don't know if they have another guy that'll be in the 30s I mean I'll be honest I don't know if I could see maybe Iowa State but I don't know if if any of the other 10 teams in the Big 12 with playing Butler in this game, I think I'd be hard-pressed to pick Butler over, let's say, anybody else other than Iowa State and Kansas State. Uh, because, again, I, I think it's just I, – I think, unfortunately, with the limited off- – it, it's one of these things where I think you have to bring a little more offensively to, uh, you know, to, to keep in a game. Because the other thing you got to think about is that Butler plays Butler, – Butler is going to play in the top ten – slowest tempos in the country this season and I think it's something where you know one of the keys to their success in the non-conference last season was that besides Baylor nobody else is ready to play the tempo that Butler plays where they run 30 or they run 25 to 30 seconds off the shot clock every time sort of like a uh, sort of like a poor man's version of Virginia in terms of running the shot clock down they don't play the pack defense necessarily, but they do play some good defensive pressure. Uh, and again, I think it's just a matter of if you don't have the weapons that let's say a Kansas has or a Baylor has or an, or an Oklahoma, even an Oklahoma State has, uh, I think it's just something where, you know, Kansas State just doesn't bring anything offensively to the table, which you'll, you say, okay, this guy is definitely going to score against Butler. When you look at some of the Big East games Butler has up the line, you know, we look at the teams that have picked ahead of them in the Big East standings, and almost all of them have offense, an offensive weapon or multiple offensive weapons, which should be able to break down the Butler defense. But I think that, and, and they'll be ready for the tempo that Butler plays as opposed to a Kansas State who, you know, may think they're playing a team from Mars in a matchup like this. All right. Well, this has been tremendous. I, I'll be the first to say that, you know, getting through all 10 matchups, yeah, I think we did it in a clear and concise manner. You know, I, I mm-hmm. you know, we hit, I think we hit all the important points. Um, you know, I think at some point, I think all of us were in the minority, like at least once, like <laughs> in terms of like, I was in the minority for the DePaul Iowa State pick. Sean no, uh, no, I had Iowa State. And oh, had, right, yeah, right, yeah. So I was the minority in that matchup. Sean was, you were the minority in this last matchup with mm-hmm. uh, Kansas State Butler, and Patrick was the minority with Oklahoma Xavier. Mm-hmm. So hey, 
sharing the wealth. Sharing and the I had I had Oklahoma State, so. Oh, so technically, right, yeah. technically you guys you had, had Marquette, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I had yeah, Marquette. I, yeah, honestly, I'm. I can't wait for all of these games to be played out. But hey, honestly, with the way our world is, honestly, we just got to take it one day at a time. So, gentlemen, thank you for the time. Enjoy the opening slate of games on Wednesday, and really for all of Feast Week. Uh, it's going to be a Thanksgiving in college basketball to remember. So, guys, enjoy it, and thanks for uh, coming on and breaking down the second annual Big East Big 12 battle here on the Igloo. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, thanks for having me. Icebreaker on Ben Stanley coming up after this. Welcome back inside the Igloo, and without further ado, it's time to get into this episode's Icebreaker, and I alluded to it. During part three of the Big East Big 12 battle preview regarding Xavier forward Ben Stanley, the transfer from Hampton, a guy who is highly touted, a tremendous talent coming from the Big South conference. Hampton was a longtime member of the MEAC, but had recently switched conferences. They joined the Big South not too long ago and made it to the Big South Championship game this past year before they were beaten by Winthrop. And the storyline here with Ben Stanley, the reason why Ben Stanley transferred to Xavier was very obvious. He wanted to seek in-person instruction uh, it was a major reason why he tra- chose Xavier. And this is a tremendous story I'm reading, by the way, from Cincinnati.com. Uh, shortly after Stanley's arrival at Xavier, he underwent an assessment with team psychologist Dr. Peter Ganshert. And he was diagnosed with mathematics-slash-calculation learning disorder and written language learning disorder, which Xavier explained it was better positioned to assist with through its student-athlete academic support services. So you would think, you know, that would be good enough to get a waiver through the NCAA for him to be eligible to play this year, right? Wrong. In a statement put out November 20th by head coach Travis Steele, Quote, Ben Stanley's waiver appeal was denied. Based on his documented learning disability, the main reason Ben transferred from Hampton was to find a school that held in-person classes so he would have the best opportunity for success. And he found that at Xavier. I am sad for Ben who made his decision as a student athlete based on giving himself the best opportunity to earn a college degree. And before I read the rest of that, notice that he's talking about giving himself the best opportunity to earn a college degree. Forget basketball. It seems like the more prevalent thing here, he was more concerned with getting a degree rather than playing the game of basketball. And I think that's incredibly crucial because we all know the NCAA loves to stress the importance of the term student-athlete and the keyword being student. That's why they don't get paid. And a fun fact, the only reason why student-athletes don't get paid is because, and the reason why the term student-athlete was crafted, was so the NCAA would have to avoid having to pay them workers' comp back in the 50s. 
True story. The final part of that statement reads, it's very disappointing that he will not be permitted to compete this season, but we are very fortunate to have Ben as part of our Xavier basketball family. Taking the high road, but you can definitely tell, especially, you know, based on his documented learning disability, like, it's a backhanded way of saying you're really going to deny this kid a um, a waiver because he has a learning disability, something that is not his fault. You would think that the NCAA, who gives out waivers like it's nothing, would give this kid who has a legitimate reason for a waiver. You would think they would give him one, right? But yet again, the NCAA continues to disappoint on that front. This is just so grossly unjust. And for me, this was personal. For those of you that don't know, I'm on the autism spectrum. And while that's not necessarily a learning disability, it is still considered a disability you know, whenever I've had to put in for job applications, you know, you always have to label if you have a disability or not. And being on the autism spectrum is a cognitive disability. And with Ben Stanley, this is a more severe thing where it's literally him having A disability that affects, uh, again, it's mathematic slash calculation learning disorder and written language learning disorder. And Xavier's athletic director, Christopher Greg Christopher, nails it on the head. This is indicative of a broken system. It's a broken structure. It's part of why the transfer rule is changing in January. It's going to be voted on and changed. The problem is Ben Stanley is collateral damage. And at the end of the day, Ben is being penalized because he has a learning disability and his former institution won't support him. And Greg Christopher is damn right on this. He is damn right. And we kind of saw that last year with Cleveland State kind of screwing over Rasheem Dunn. And St. John's and Dunn had to really push to get himself a waiver before the start of the season. And thank God they did. Because that that was unjust in its own right. But this is just tenfold with Ben Stanley. And I feel the anger that so many Xavier fans feel about this. I really, really do. And honestly, this isn't even from a basketball sense. This is from a personal perspective. Because for the NCAA to say it's important to remember that these guys are student athletes. And notice that in the term student athlete, the word student comes first. They are students first, athletes second. And this student in particular has a diagnosed Mathematic Calculation Learning Disorder, and a Written Language Learning Disorder. 
And for the NCAA to not help him in that, that is just blatant hypocrisy. The funny thing was when I was in college, I wrote a long paper for a communications ethics class on why the NCAA is just bullshit. And a story like this, it just emphasizes it. The NCAA is a sham, and with the landscape of collegiate athletics changing, and with student-athletes now being able to profit from their likeness somewhere down the line, the NCAA is going to get turned on its head. And COVID-19 also has begun to turn the NCAA on its head because they don't see any of the money that college football makes. The only way they really make money is because of March Madness. And with no March Madness last year, they lost a ton of money from that. And with the way things have been going, there's no way for them to make money off of March Madness in 2021, even if they were to have it. So the NCAA, they're already in trouble for, you know, the reasons that I listed financially. But with something like this, they just continue to make themselves look worse and worse and worse. It's like they want people to hate them and they're succeeding in it because I hate them even more for some bullshit like this. Ben Stanley, just know I'm on your side. I'm backing you up. I know what it feels like to have somewhat of a learning disability. I was lucky enough to be gifted with, you know, parents who really pushed me and trained me to be intellectual in the classroom and learn at a high level. And... Ben, I know for you, because of your learning disorders, that's extremely difficult. I sympathize with you on that. I empathize with you on that. And I support you all the way because you did something that was best for you academically. Just as much as it was athletically. You You could probably say this was more of an academic move than it was a basketball move. And I commend you for that so much, my man. Keep doing you. Keep fighting the good fight. Because your fans are going to keep fighting that good fight. And you're you're damn sure that I'm going to too. Free Ben Stanley. And that's how I'm going to end it. That's a wrap for this episode of the Igloo. Big thank you again to Sean Paul and, of course, Patrick Madden for being my Big East and Big 12 delegates on this Big East Big 12 battle preview episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And, again, we're less than 24 hours away from tip-off for the college basketball season. Strap in, folks. It's going to be a fun ride And I can't wait to be on that ride all season long with you through every twist and turn that is probably going to happen throughout the season between cancellations, exciting games, upsets, you name it. 
I'm going to be with you on this wild ride, and it's going to be a fun one. And I can't wait for it to start at 12 noon tomorrow. So, I'll have a new episode of the Igloo uh, coming out on Black Friday, actually. Um, So, enjoy the opening slate of games tomorrow. And, of course, have a happy Thanksgiving with your families, wherever you are. Whether you're traveling or just staying at home, keeping yourself and others safe. Just make sure you're making good choices. Enjoy the holidays with your family. And until next time on the Igloo Black Friday, it's Timmy I signing off. Thanks for tuning in. And again, Black Friday, new episode of the Igloo coming up. And I feel like you're going to really like the next guest I'm going to have. Because not only is he a great college hoops voice on FS1, he's one of the best voices in all of baseball, too. That's all that those are the only hints I'm gonna leave on that. So be on the lookout for that on Black Friday. So again, Timmy I signing off from the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in and happy Thanksgiving.